Welcome to podcast number 12 from Connects Health. My name is Denise Balsh. Today, I have the pleasure to be speaking to Laura Blair, who's the Director of Sales at Express Scripts Canada. Laura brings more than 25 years of experience in attracting and retaining top accounts, maintaining strong relationships with clients, and increasing sales and revenue to the newly created role of Director of Sales at Express Scripts. In this role, Laura will develop and execute strategies in territory planning, prospecting, and relationship development, proposal and pricing development, contract negotiations, and be responsible for the account management team. Specializing in group insurance and pharmacy benefits management, her expertise in implementing effective sales strategy, creating business growth opportunities, and managing complex client relationships make her an asset to the organization. A lifelong learner, her educational background is in commerce, and she also holds numerous certificates related to effective leadership, negotiations, and project management. Today, we'll uh, be speaking with Laura about pharmacy benefit managers, past, present, and future. And who better to join us than Laura? Laura, welcome. Great. Thanks for having me, Denise. Um, So we're going to touch on a number of issues related to pharmacy benefit managers, but before we kind of get into that... Maybe you can tell us a little bit more about how you came to be working in the PBM sector and a little bit more about your role and how that's evolved over the years. Um, I started in the insurance industry back in, I'm going to say 1994, uh, where I began working for a small third-party administrator. Um, We were in a very niche sector in in the petroleum sector, and I managed the customer services area at that time. And that was the first time I had actually encountered a pharmacy benefit manager. Um, at the time, we were using um, Claim Secure, which was at the time was actually called RX Plus. And that would, I would say would be my first foray into the PBM sector. But um, in 1999, I actually started working at Express Scripts. Uh, I say for the first time because I've, I've since come back, but uh, I stayed there for seven years managing um, their largest clients and, and, in, uh, and in fact, implementing all of the new clients that they brought on board. So um, I did that for seven years. And then I went off and, and broadened my horizons um, at Manulife and at Roche Pharma, which was a little bit of a departure from, from uh, I would say, the pharmacy sector. But uh, it certainly opened my eyes to the pharmaceutical side of the business. And um, I did spend a lot of my time working with private payers and with um, physicians in trying to get our drugs covered on private pay it, payer formularies. So um, so still within the same sector, just from a different point of view. But I ended up back in the PBM world um, when I went back um, to TELUS in uh, 2011. And um, the reason why I went back was because I saw uh, the landscape was finally changing with private payers. Um, there, I would say there had been kind of a, a stagnation in terms of, of things that were happening with benefits plans, but I started to see kind of that tipping point where I think because of the cost of drugs going up and a lot of the specialty meds that are now being paid for by private payers, I started to see things um, that were getting implemented across the sector. So things like prior authorization and you know, generic, um, mandatory generic substitution plans, formularies were starting to be introduced. So I thought it was a great time to, to rejoin. Um, and I worked there for just over nine years. Um, 
And I've since come back to um, Express Scripts. I rejoined the company back in February of this year, just uh, prior to COVID <laughs> happening. Um, but I assume the role of director of sales, which is actually a new position for the company. Um, I'm responsible for uh, the sales and the account management teams for both the pharmacy benefit management business, but as well for our ESC pharmacy, which is our home delivery pharmacy uh, option for our um, our customers, but for, for the Canadian population at large as well. So it was a good time for me to move over. Um, I'm, I'm, I was interested in the pharmacy delivery piece. That's kind of the piece that was missing from my, uh, from my CV, I will say. So it's, it's highly interesting to me to see kind of from an, uh, a pharmacy operations perspective, how that complements our pharmacy benefit management business that we have. So that's kind of it in a, in a, in a 10,000 foot view. <laughs> <laughs> and I think it was when you were with Roche that we first met, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. It was. It seems like a lifetime ago, but yeah, it, it certainly was. Yeah. We did a lot of good work together back then. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, I know it's been nice to keep in touch with you and follow your career. Same. Um, <laughs> <laughs> thanks. Um, I'd like to move into now um, some of the trends work that Express Scripts does. Um, you held a trends webinar. Um, in the fall, and there was some very interesting results um, from uh, what happened uh, once COVID uh, kind of started um, and was, you know, became prominent and, and how your claims information and your claims data changed. So I'm just wondering if you can speak a little bit to those trends and which results were kind of most interesting or surprising to you? What was kind of your big takeaway um, from the impact of COVID-19 on your trends? Yeah, I will say um, at the beginning of COVID, what we saw probably the most was um, people stockpiling medications. And I think a lot of that was due to some of the stuff that people uh, were seeing in the media with respect to drug shortages and the possibility of drug shortages. Um, so we, we saw that at kind of a, a bolus right at the, at the very beginning. It did... Um, level off uh, once government stepped in and started instituting some day supplies limits um, to kind of help curtail some of that panic because people were unnecessarily stocking up on drugs. Where, I mean, there, there were no drug shortages, just like we didn't run out of toilet paper. <laughs> um, similar to, to similar to that. So um, there was a shortage though of um, salbutamol, which is uh, an inhaler that's used to treat asthma. We did. It was kind of interesting to see that people were were stockpiling it, not only because they had asthma, but because they understood that there were respiratory aspects related to COVID nineteen that were, I, I guess, people were attributing it to something similar that could be treated by a, a, an asthma inhaler. So people that were new <laughs> um, to the disease state were actually uh, also trying to to procure the drug. So. That that was interesting in and of itself. Just uh, again through media, right? Some of the hype around what this disease was, we didn't really know. Kind of, and I'm frankly, I'm not sure we still know um, really all of the aspects of it. But one of them was certainly the respiratory piece of it. So people were trying to stock up on inhalers. So I thought that was quite interesting. Um, just by virtue of the fact that people were were stockpiling and the government instituting the day supplies limits, um, one of the things we saw was uh, a correlated increase in dispense fees because of the more frequent fills um, that we saw from that. Um, and then 
one of the things that I mean, intuitively, you would understand was that we saw uh, our dental and our health claims business. So we don't just do pharmacy, we do um, health and dental as well. But that actually came pretty much to a grinding halt right at the very beginning of COVID because, um, as we all know, none of us were leaving our homes at that point. And, and you know, there weren't proper um, measures put in place for us to be frequenting, you know, uh, either a chiropractor or a massage therapist, what have you, um, that has gradually picked up and we're pretty much back on on, on trend for that. Um, but as we move into the second wave, we may possibly see another decrease in that just because more people won't be leaving their homes depending on uh, um, where they live, <laughs> um, unfortunately. Um, one of the other things was, uh, again, at the very beginning, and I, I, I will say we'll probably see a continued trend now that we're moving into the second wave, is around the increase in antidepressants. Um, as we all know, COVID-19 has caused a lot of stress and anxiety for, for most of us in terms of you know, our, our health, people are worried about their finances if they've been impacted by, you know, losing their job. There's many people that, that uh, you know, have had to go on CERB or whatever financial assistance the government is providing. Um, most of us are working from home, I think. So there's an aspect of, you know, when does your workday stop and start? And then there's the whole social aspect of people not obviously um, being with with other people and, and kind of the loneliness piece that comes out of that. And that was something that the uh, CAMH folks had, had put out in, in, their, in, in a recent study that they published. Um, so it'll be interesting to see the, the new data that we'll be publishing shortly um, as we're now entering into the second wave of the pandemic. Um, and certainly the, the stress um, that it's causing just with the uncertainty of, you know, when we're when we're all going to go back to work, when we're going to have a vaccine that we're all able to take. So I think from that aspect, um, it'll be interesting to see what happens uh, with that as we move forward. I found uh, the report when I reviewed it, your claims uh, report uh, was quite interesting because I know that it was modified for the COVID-19 results as we, as we just discussed, but um, your report really, um, I noticed that it is evolving over time. Um, so maybe you can just give us a couple of, for, for those of the people who haven't seen it, um, give us a couple of insights as to kind of what you're looking towards in terms of um, developing the report and, uh, you know, the application of the data that's contained in it for people. Yeah, I, th I think we, um, I think we took a look back and tried to see kind of where we were at with our previous drug trend report and how we wanted to make it better. So one of the things that we noticed was we had a lot of information that we were we were reporting trends on. And what we wanted to do was make sure that we could make it um, more meaningful and more actionable. So what we've done with the, our new drug trend report is introduce kind of bite-sized, easy to consume information. So I think that would be one of the first things that we did. Um, I think a lot of, um, be, because we had so much information we were reporting on, we were very late in releasing our drug trend report to the market. Um, I believe it was in the May timeframe that we were doing that. Um, this is prior to me coming on board, but I think uh, others were, were introducing it earlier in the year. So by making the data a little bit uh, more bite-sized, easy to consume, that allows us to get it earlier to the market. So last year we were, 
um, the first to go live with our data, which was uh, originally scheduled for March 25th. Um, we postponed it uh, till the first week of April just due to COVID, but um, just to get ourselves organized around all of our new technology with <laughs> WebExes and Zoom calls and all of those things. So I think that was one of the, the other big things that we've done. And um, one of the big things was our marketing team did a, a really great job in kind of making the report a little bit more visually appealing now um, for, for, for most people. So I'd say fundamentally, those are probably three of the big things. Um, for those of us that uh, speak French and have French clients, um, we were also uh, getting that out to market later. So uh, this year, our drug trend reports, both French and English, will be going out at the same time. Um, as they should, uh, as a bilingual company with supporting a lot of our, our Quebec clients. And those are our big carriers that obviously have offices in Quebec as well. So I think that uh, is probably the biggest pieces that we've seen changes in. And yeah, and I think it is really interesting. I mean, certainly noticed a big difference in your reporting. Um, and it seems that to some extent that that reporting is very much linked with the overall development of, you know, how the PBM sector is actually changing. So, you know, some of us remember benefit plans before PBMs, I'm sorry to say, uh, but since PBMs have entered the market um, and then, of course, now become more commonplace where the vast majority of, of plans um, use that um, uh, electronic payment mechanism that PBMs uh, offer. Um, it seems that PBMs are continuing to evolve beyond the, just a transactional service. Yeah, I would say, so uh, as we were saying, we're, we're kind of dating ourselves, but yes, I do remember <laughs> when PBMs were created <laughs> um, and, and first launched into the Canadian marketplace. So I would say at that time, it was really just a mechanism to get claims paid electronically. So it was really from a very simple claims payment point of view, where pharmacy benefit managers played. I would say that's evolved significantly from that point in time, where we are now very much an integral part of a benefits plan whether that's through the creation of our clinical programs, um, introduction um, of, of product listing agreements into the marketplace for the private payer um, realm, something that was well established in the public sector, um, but is now fully entrenched as well in the private payer sector. Um, expanding the offerings. So we're not just a pharmacy benefit manager. We also uh, do health and dental as well in, in uh, health spending accounts. And in our case, we actually... Uh, created our own pharmacy as well. So we do home delivery of both maintenance and specialty medications. So that's certainly a, a departure for, for a pharmacy benefit manager um, in the Canadian landscape anyway. So I think we're, we're a bigger piece of the puzzle now. It's not just a, a based on a commodity or a transactional basis, but more of how we can play a role in, in the future. So I think a big piece of that is going to be around analytics and how we um, definitely continue to, to evolve under that aspect. We collect an, an enormous amount of data. And I think through um, things like machine learning and advanced an, uh, analytic capabilities, we're going to be able to further evolve our product offerings. So whether we're looking at um, things like fraud, waste, and abuse, um, analytics to predict members who um, are, are non-adherent to their medicine, as we know, there's, there's many out there that are um, and looking to develop programs around those members who aren't adherent and how do we get them to be there because that's that's a huge waste uh, issue 
uh, today in not just the Canadian landscape, uh, frankly, but I would say everywhere in the world. So how do we get members to take the medicines that are prescribed to them when they're supposed to be taking them? So that'll, I think, will be uh, a big role in the future. Um, I think also playing a role on the digital side of things. So how do we get information to the plan member through our carrier partners that will help them make better decisions when it comes to their health and wellness. So driving um, information to them at a member level. So, you know, we all have our cell phones today. We're um, pretty much everybody has one. Um, most of our customers have uh, mobile applications and those can be used to um, tailor information to the member level because what we see moving forward is certainly a focus on personalized medicine. I'd say we're still at kind of the, the infancy stages of that, but I think we'll be building kind of an infrastructure of how do we target members with meaningful data that they can in fact action because I would say um, there's still a missing link in the puzzle in terms of how do you contain costs moving forward that, you know, we all know that it's um, where we're at today with sustainable drug plans. We're not going to be able to do this in the future with all of the specialty drugs that are coming to the marketplace and the cost uh, related to those. So how do we make, get members engaged early and often so that they're making the proper benefits decisions for themselves as well as the plan uh, sponsor uh, perspective as well? Yeah, really getting at that target population um, at risk for um, with lifestyle habits that can put them at risk or with a diagnosis of a chronic disease, which still makes up the majority of planned costs um, that in acute care meds like antibiotics. So yeah. um, I think that's a good point. So do you see yourselves as communicating directly with members? Um, I mean, you have that uh, you know, ability, presumably, at least through the pharmacy network, but do you see making other connections or facilitating that for insurers? So we, so we do, I would say on the PBM side of the business, there's definitely channel management. So we would always work through our carrier partners in helping them right. communicate with their plan members. But we also okay. have the pharmacy piece as well, where we do do, um, I'm going to call it hand-holding with our patients so that uh, we're making sure that they are adherent to their medicines. We actually have uh, higher um, adherence ratios um, compared to retail pharmacy. So from those aspects, when you do follow a member and you, and you provide them with information, they do tend to be more adherent to their medications. So those are some of the things that uh, we look at on the pharmacy side of our business. Yeah, yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. Um, so do you find that the types of services that you've been describing, are those things that you offer or you plan to offer to, say, the smaller carriers, the, the larger carriers? Because we, we, you know, we, we know that you work with Manulife and you'll, you'll be working with, Man, with Sun Life in the new year. Or, or does it really not make a difference? No, we actually uh, tailor solutions to all of our clients. So we offer everything to everybody and they um, they pick from, I will say, cafeteria style, which ones that they want to implement and how they want to implement it because each carrier has their own philosophy around, um, obviously, around drug plan management. So what works for one may not work for another. So we offer the same portfolio to everybody and they pick and choose which uh, options they want to put in for their plan sponsors. Which could be much more effective than developing and trying to deliver something themselves. So it, it makes sense regardless what size insurer 
um, you're working with. Correct. There's economies of scale for sure. And and there's ways of differentiating yourselves in the marketplace through different customizations um, of the platform. So um, I think that's part of what we've done in the past is we developed a very flexible rules-based system so that it's not a one-size-fits-all in terms of the flexibility that the system can manage. So what, what, what might look like one program actually has different flexibilities within it so everybody can leverage it in a different way. Yeah, no, that's that's really interesting. Yeah, no, it seems like there's lots of opportunities um, uh, to make a big difference in terms of efficiency, but also in terms of what you're actually providing to patients or what you're facilitating access to. Um, I know one of the one of the things, and I don't know how much you can get into it because I know these things are confidential. But just before we close off, um, are you doing point of sale um, product listing agreement? you know, administration of the savings or because that like quantifying those savings and ensuring they get to the plan sponsor and and the claimant is important. And it's difficult to do that um, unless you have a point of sale admin system for PLAs. Yeah, actually, Express Scripts was the first uh, pharmacy benefit manager to um, to launch PLAs in the private payer sector. And we continue to do that for our clients uh, or on behalf of our clients, and we will continue to do so in the future. That is a very big piece of um, the roadmap as we move forward is how to evolve uh, even further uh, down the PLA path. Um, One of the things that we're um, thankful for is that we have a US parent company. Um, So through Cigna Insurance and Express Scripts in the States, we're able to leverage a lot of the learnings that they've had. So what has worked in their marketplace and how do we tailor that for the Canadian marketplace? So we actually are always a little bit a step ahead because we actually can leverage some of the insights that we see coming from the U.S. healthcare market, which is a little bit more evolved than ours here in Canada in terms of some of the, um, I'm going to say the inflection points of where we can intervene on behalf of the plan sponsor and the plan members to uh, to get some savings out of the uh, out yeah. of the ecosystem. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. So you actually have that point of sale PLA administration as well then? Yes, we do. Yeah, no, that's great news. Well, I think that's a big leap forward. I was just involved in uh, in uh, researching and writing and um, uh, putting in, uh, out a white paper on PLAs. And uh, I think that point of sale administ- administration is really critical to um, putting uh, plan advisors and plan sponsors' minds at rest that they're actually achieving the savings or realizing the savings that the product listing agreements, you know, were meant to provide. So um, I think that's great. Well, uh, Laura, I know you have another engagement this afternoon, so um, I'm going to uh, cut it off here. We could go on for quite some time, I know. Um, I very much for being available to us today. Um, it's just before the holiday season. We'll be releasing this uh, on Friday, but it will be available um, on a longer term basis on our website. So um, for anyone that would like more information about Express Scripts, um, their website is express-scripts.ca. And uh, I'm sure if, if you uh, would like to get a hold of Laura, she'll be glad to speak with you. Um, thanks once again for your time for us today, Laura. Um, happy holidays. Thank you. I appreciate you taking the time with me this afternoon. And as you said, we could talk about this for hours. (laughs) It's a passion. But I really appreciate your time today. Thanks so much. Great. Thank you so much. I appreciate it.